0: Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing justice is on. Good afternoon, everybody. Lieutenant Joe here. You know, we're seeing more and more incidences of acting shooters in schools, workplaces, in businesses. You know, we just saw Buffalo a couple of weeks ago some crazed animal shows up and goes in and attacks a bunch of innocent people in a a grocery store. And then we saw the Uvalde school shooting. Well, there's a, there's a lot going on. There's knee jerk reaction from a lot of our our friends in the political class who feel that they need to do something. Uh, Something has to be done about this gun. Something has to be done about guns. And, you know, I'm trying to work my way around that as a pro second amendment kind of guy, law enforcement officer, my whole career, I carry a gun everywhere I go. So when I go out somewhere uh, I'm not always so worried about, you know, what would I do if I could defend myself? I have the ability to do it. But a lot of other people don't. And we know the Supreme Court right now, uh, the federal Supreme Court is, is looking at a, a case about New York City and the right to carry, uh, carry firearms. If you're a, a regular citizen, can you carry a firearm? So there's a lot going on about guns in our society. What's their purpose? Is the Second Amendment something that is, is done? Has it seen its day and it's time for it to go? Uh, As some people are saying, you know, this is not, uh, you know, this is not the the 1700s when we had a flintlock and we were trying to get rid of the king. Uh, we got people going into schools now and and shooting little children. So I figured, hey, what's the best way to go here is then to talk to somebody who knows about guns, somebody who trains uh, law enforcement people with weaponry to get get some of the myths out of our way. So today I said, you know what, let me bring on my friend uh, Richard Sneath. Richard is, uh, is an expert. He's going to go through his background for you, you know, where, where he worked, what his law enforcement background is, his training background. And then we're going to try and attack some of these myths and find out, uh, you know, the dreaded AR-15. Is this really a battlefield weapon or is this uh, just something that looks scary and makes people really uncomfortable? So, Richard, welcome aboard.
1: Oh, thanks, LT. Uh, so, yeah, my name is Richard Sneath. Uh, I started at Brogan County Jail in 2002. Uh, I moved on to state corrections Uh, In 2003, worked at one of the state institutions um, until 2010, full-time. And then around 2010, I became a firearms instructor for our department, um, PTC certified. Did that for uh, a few years, three or four years, uh, part-time. And then I became one of our full-time training staff uh, on the regional ranges um, in 2014. So um, eight years. I'm also a patrol rifle instructor, um, adjunct with DCJ um, when they do patrol rifle classes um i've trained all over the country kind of with uh, some of the best instructors in in the nation um so i have a, a broad experience with firearms um low a certified low light instructor so i try and keep up with uh, my training um and and kind of stay current with the uh, trends
0: outstanding and who who are the uh, who's the law enforcement community that you you train on firearms or is it everybody uh, so i anybody? work for the
1: new jersey department of corrections um and we train we have around 4,700 staff. Uh, So we train just at my regional range, about 2,500 staff annually. Um, On an annual basis, we qualify. And then um, when we do any specialized weapons training, we're in charge of, me and a group of guys are in charge of the patrol rifle program. So attorney general guidelines are twice a year, we have to qual, and then we have two fan fires a year. So four times a year, we do that with our, primarily our uh, special ops team, which is about 150 full-time and part-time members. Uh, so we get them out on the gun, the patrol rifle four times a year. And then um, because we have them for you know six to eight hours, I try and do uh, as much relevant firearm training as we can with the pistol and, and de-escalation and moving targets and try and suffice some of the some of the training requirements that the courts over the years have said, you know, to make firearm training valid. Uh, we have to incorporate these things. So sure, I sure. the guys you tries know, to incorporate it.
0: I remember when I first came to the police department, um, you know, they train you in the police academy and you got a bunch of uh, young guys and girls in the classes. And some people have never shot a gun before in their life Yeah. and other people, you know, I had some experience I hunted and this and that, not sure. a lot with handguns, but uh, you know, I got out there and, and we had the Smith and Wesson model 59, the big silver uh, shiny yep. beautiful I started the on a 5906, yeah. so. you know, a ver- very nice weapon. Um, you know, shooting 50 yards with a handgun yeah. was not, you you know, it's not as easy as people think that is to hit that target at 50 yards is a long way away. So, you know, you learn kind of quick after that, that if you're shooting a handgun at somebody 150 yards, that's unusual. You're not really going to be doing that. Um, But let's talk about one of the first things, one of the first myths we have here between a handgun and a rifle. You know, we, we know active shooters or killers, robbers, you know, kill people all the time with a handgun. Um, it it just seems that when they have these big events, uh, with these rifles, uh, it, it seems, it seems much worse. So for people who don't know, what is the, what is the difference really, other than, you know, one, you hold your hand, obviously another is a long rifle
1: between those two kinds of guns. I think, um, the, the biggest difference between a handgun and a rifle is just the the type of ammunition that they, you know, uh, normally have in them. So pistol caliber, you know, ammunition is generally, uh, a lot slower, not as lethal as a rifle is, um, you know, when you get into rifle caliber ammunition, two, two, three, three, eight, um, the lethality is, you know, significant, uh, significantly more than handguns. Um, so I think that's why when you see, um, you know, active shooters, whatever the case may be with rifles and the lethality of how many people are, or, you know, unfortunately killed. Um, I think it has to do a lot with the, with the type of ammunition. So Um, We see a lot of people shot with, you know, handguns all the time. And generally, because we teach a ballistics class too, I try and teach a ballistics class to our recruits and to um, um, whatever classes we're training. um, The differences in specific ammunition and why it acts a certain way on the humanoid type form. Um, Right. So now
0: I I guess the the bottom line is what you're saying, like a handgun. That's for a close quarters combat. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's somebody, you know, on a second floor. 25 yards
1: and in and, you know, patrol patrol rifles or rifles are generally for for longer distances.
0: All right. So So if people if people who don't really know the difference, they see, you know, the, the, the nine millimeter. The president the other day said. Uh, the nine millimeter blow your lung out of your body, but a 22 would stay in there. You can remove it, <laughs> but a rifle seems the to disrupt your it, entire, yeah. your entire body. It's the speed of the round.
1: Is that the, yeah, that basically that the be? speed around and it's, t- you know, um, uh, terminal velocity. And um, you know, there's, there's different ways that the bullet impacts um, with kinetic energy. And it's basically how much kinetic energy is transferred to whatever it's hitting. So think about it. And this is how we try and explain it um, when we teach it because ballistics it could be an eight hour class. Um, if you were to take a pebble as a kid and throw it in and drop it into a puddle, the ripple effect is a little bit. If you take a rock and slam it into that same puddle, now that kinetic energy is transferred to the water. Now you have a big splash. So think about handgun round as a pebble and and the rifle round is that big rock that you're throwing in there pretty hard. Um, right. it, those rifle rounds, that kinetic energy act the same way towards you know, whatever, whatever we're shooting. So right
0: now, one of the ways I had it explained to me um was that because of the speed, you know, you had, we went to subsonic rounds uh that was less sure. than the speed of, uh, of sound because they, they had like a big thump when you hit somebody, you would right. push them with that. Where a rifle, a, a 223 round, the, the dreaded M16, the 223, that's basically a 22 caliber bullet pushed by a big shell. And when yeah. that hits your body, basically it disrupts your organs when it hits yeah. so much energy displaced into yeah. you, that it, it, it mangles your organs on top of the bullet going through. Is that yeah.
1: Right? Yeah. Especially with um, there's theories in ballistics where, you know, hydrostatic shock, you, you know, basically burst organs on, on the way in. Um it's possible. Yeah. I mean, just that kinetic energy, because you figure, you know, a nine millimeter round travels 900, maybe a thousand feet per second. Now you're getting into rifle rounds where you're over 3000 feet per second, right. uh, even though it is a smaller bullet, it's traveling significantly faster. Right. Um, OK, so that, that's what causes all that damage.
0: So I hope everybody out there gets that. That's why the rifle is so much more impactful. You can shoot farther away. It's going a lot faster and it causes a lot more damage. So let's look at the handgun for a minute. Uh, again, you know, uh, I carried a nine millimeter for a long time. Now I carry the 40 caliber I like that round. Sure. Um, one of the things we always hear all the time is why didn't the cop shoot the gun out of his hand? Why don't you shoot him in the knee? Uh, why, why don't we try and shoot the gun out of somebody's hand or shoot them in the knee when we're facing deadly force?
1: Sure. Um, so that's one of the big myths you hear all the time. Why didn't you shoot him in the knee? Why didn't you shoot him in the hand? Why didn't you shoot the gun out of his hand? Um, when we're trying, when we're invoking deadly force, right, all options have failed. Um, Deadly force is the only option um, based on the context of the situation. We're trying to get an immediate stoppage. Um, We weren't trying to get immediate stoppage to to stop serious bodily harm or death to yourself or somebody else or a third person. Um, The only way to get that immediate stoppage is through successive rounds in in the upper thoracic cavity or a CNS shot. So, um, you know, we don't, aim for smaller targets and knees and hands and stuff. One, it's a hard thing to do, especially when you're moving and they're moving. And two, if we're trying to get that immediate stoppage of the threat, that's not going to give us an immediate stoppage of the threat. Um, We want to try and invoke as much blood loss, unfortunately, as possible um, to stop the threat, to stop them, to get them doing whatever they're doing uh, to save lives. So it's a a little unreasonable. um, And I think that's one of the movie myths that everybody sees, like shoot them in the leg well, you could shoot him a leg and hit the femoral artery and they're going to bleed out. Um, so we're not going to get an immediate stoppage and you're going to have the same result. So it, it's not that easy. And I think, you know, Hollywood and, and people that don't know, um, you know, kind of promote these unrealistic um, expectations of officers.
0: Right. And that's what, you know, I, I love the movies. Uh, you know, you see a guy, he's carrying a, a snub-nosed chief special, 38 caliber handgun and there's a guy running across roofs and, you know, and he, and he pegs him right in the knee and knocks the guy down. and you know.
1: yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I, I, I do a lot of training. I, um, I, I shoot a lot. Um, it's a hard shot. And, you know, one of the things that we're trying to do is now is trying to invoke a little bit of realism in our um, what we call platform proficiency standard between the handgun and rifle with movement and a little bit of an exertion. Um, it definitely affects your accuracy and your ability to shoot the gun. So I'm not a, in, in a real life situation where your heart rate's already elevated. Maybe you ran 50 yards, maybe you climbed upstairs, maybe you downstairs. Um, it downstairs. You know, we want to try and give the officers the largest area to shoot, which is the upper thoracic cavity. Um, right. You know, that's, that's kind of things that are a little unrealistic of, of so so for people that don't understand exactly why
0: cops do that it's very simple what Richard's saying here is when you have to stop a deadly threat someone's going to hurt you or a third person do serious damage kill you something like that you know shooting them shooting the gun out of their hand is ridiculous you can't do it it's 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 that's movie and tv nonsense so what you aim for is the biggest possible place you could hit somebody which is the chest so you don't miss and you hope that you uh create enough of a blood channel. I remember that word when I was taught that a blood channel so that they lose blood pressure and pass out and they stop doing the deadly things that they're doing. Uh, You know, all this stuff, uh, you know, the headshot and this shot, that's all great. If you, if you're that good, but the average person, uh, I think most gunfights with police and bad guys take place in less than six feet. Yeah. And even at, even at six feet, people can miss because of the adrenaline the stress that's going on. You know, you move the gun one, one, it in another direction to go over somebody's head instead of hitting their body When i was on the job we had two really good shooters guys were really good and uh, both of them got in gunfights and they both missed sure um it's it's not
1: unusual and we're human and i think the courts have determined that officers are human and and there's, you know even though we don't want to miss morally legally or or you know whatever um it happens just because we are human we're not robots right um you know, one of the things that we we try and do is in our classes is, is mitigate that a little bit by giving a lot smaller targets. Um, so we only have our guys work on a maximum of eight by 10. But most of the time it's four by six box all the way out to 25 yards. Um, right. And, you know, we, we have a reasonable expectation because of what we've seen over the last. And we study this, you know, I'm kind of a nerd with this and my guys are nerds over the last hundred years of officer involved shootings. And it doesn't matter if it's wheel guns up to the the, the newest, um, you know, semi-automatic handguns that the the hit ratio hasn't changed in law enforcement. It's been about 20, 25% throughout the history of law enforcement, um, right. New York, Las Vegas, those guys great, have great statistics on their officer involved shootings. And then when we invoke low light, it cuts it about in half. So, um, you know, it, it's hard, it's hard, especially with I everything agree. going on. Um, you know, to get those hits.
0: So that's that, that brings me to a question. I remember we had a, uh, a very progressive uh, young man who became our range officer. And our, and our range practice used to be twice a year, we would go out, stand at the firing line and made sure everybody got a, a score sure. that could pass. You know, everybody got I, that passing score. I and when this bar. guy took over, he said, it's very unrealistic and we're going to do something different. So the first thing he did was he put two guys in a police car And had us race up to the range, jump out, run around a little obstacle course, then stop at the line and try and hit uh, some targets that were swinging back and forth. Right. Um, And the first time we did it, you would think none of us ever touched a gun before in our life. Uh, By the second or third time we did it, people were now qualifying in that particular area because you you
1: practiced it. You kind of got used to that.
0: What what do you think
1: about officers doing that kind of training? I, I actually love it um, without getting into too much. So I don't get myself in trouble with my department. Um, we, we do the same kind of thing because of the volume that we have, we have 4,700 officers. Um, we only qualify once a year. Um, you know, the, the, the attorney general guidelines set guidelines on how you're supposed to qualify. Um, so we're, we're trying to get clarification on that. Um, and, and I would imagine that smaller departments, Um, that have a little more time. Like I I work with some of the local departments in the town I live in and they they do some good work. Um, I would like to see, you know, go do the qualification. That's a test, right? That's what suffices um, the state, the state mandates. And then with the rest of the time that we spend on the range um, and it doesn't have to be cost prohibitive with ammo or, or, or stuff like that. um, But give officers scenario-based training, you know, the courts 40 years ago, Said that you know, for firearms training to be valid, we have to do certain things. Shoot at moving targets, shoot in realistic conditions, um, you know, all the things that an officer would normally face. Um and because of budget and time and everything else, um, I think a lot of departments gamble uh with you know the officer and the public by not addressing those issues, either because of money or time or now the excuses you know, COVID and, and ammo prices, which I understand. Um, I don't have to deal with that from an administrative standpoint, but the nominal cost that that is, what's a mistake of fact shooting, um, you know, lawsuit and then who's liable. And I think we're seeing a lot of that, especially, um, you know, officer Potter and I forget, I, it doesn't, I can't think of the department now um, where, you know, she, she thought she had a, a taser and she actually had a firearm and they pulled everyone from that department in there um, and asked her training records and what, what was her training and how valid was it? And, you know, instead of just checking the boxes, which I understand from a, a trainer standpoint, we have to check the boxes, but after checking the boxes, provide good guys with good, valid, documented firearms training. Um, and yeah. we include in deescalation stuff, cause that's important. Um, I think, you know, we have to include shoot, no shoot scenarios because we can't amp guys up all the time and everything be a shoot because that might translate. So
0: um,
1: we've incorporated um, no shoot scenarios. We've incorporated um, some moving targets with with, um, motorized target systems. Um, And I think, you know, we would like to see that, or at least in New Jersey, uh, um, you know, some kind of standard where they say at least for four or six hours on the range, you have to incorporate these things Mm -hmm. um because right now it's just the qualification is the big thing and that's what anybody worries about
0: right i think
1: joe on top of that is getting firearms trainers that are comfortable um you know teaching these things because it's one thing to put a book out on this is what you have to do but you know for to get guys up there to actually be able to teach it and to be proficient in teaching it that's that's another hard thing so
0: what what about what about in the area of uh, of substituting to also use uh, you know use of force in this and that one of the things i was the training officer as i ended my career it's one of the things i did over there and i know we when we finally had a training day an in-service day where we could actually use the time i acquired a whole bunch of airsoft equipment yeah. uh, rifles handguns that matched our guns six hours and all that kind of sure. stuff and we did a lot of shoot no shoot scenarios and the officers found it very valuable to see you know, hey, I would have got shot in
1: this situation or Absolutely. I, I would have missed here. Now, what, what do you think about using like Airsoft? I think I think um, less lethal and, and Sims and, and Airsoft are huge training tools, especially when there's consequences to your actions. You know, it's going to it's going to be painful. Um, you know, our, our department does um, some of that with Sims and, and UTMs um, and, you know, we, we put guys in scenarios and they're not all shoot scenarios. They're not all not shoot scenarios. Um, but you know, consequences for not properly using cover or tactics or things like that, um, or putting, you know, innocent bystanders in there. Um, it kind of gives a level of realism. Yes. Uh, Yes. and, And I think it's phenomenal. And I think, you know, UTMs are, are maybe cost but airsoft, like you said, you can buy replicated guns and pretty much do airsoft anywhere. Sure. Um, and so that, you know that's what that's that's
0: we found. We had the, you yeah. know, the the simulation, the but yeah. they were $600 a gun sure. to change the thing plus $2 yeah. a bullet. The this airsoft, a lot of money. I, I outfitted a group of 10 people for like $3,500. Yeah. And we had thousands of rounds and we could go yeah. out and do car stops. We could do exactly. emergency stuff. It was, it was really great training. And I, I suggest all agencies take a look at it.
1: Yeah. And it's not, it's really not cost prohibitive because, you know, I understand that smaller departments with their budgets. I mean, our department, you know, our budget's $900 million, um, you know, so I, I understand it from that standpoint. Um, but I, you know, I would like to see, you know, either grants be put out there for these type of things, because if, if the politicians and stuff and I don't get too political are screaming that things need to be done better, especially with law enforcement training or whatever the case may be, then give, executives, the tools or the money or the resources to allow that put grants for, for use of force or, um, you know, that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, give guys the training and tools, because I understand, yeah. you know, some of the small departments might not have those budgets fit in are they're, they're working on small budgets.
0: Yeah. Sure um, but if
1: that money is available for training, allow them to it, allow them access to it. So let's let's uh, let's shift gears here a little bit.
0: And because uh, I agree, Hunter, but the more training you can do, the more realistic training, the sure. more stress you can put on people, the better. Um, there's this whole uh, controversy out there with the school shootings that we should arm the teachers now. Um, you know, a teacher wants to be armed. They they go qualify. There's there's a TV show that I watched and it was it was it was a little bit older. I think it was 2011 but it was in Texas and they took uh, five teachers that all had concealed carry permits. They all legally had them. And they said they would carry in school and they put them through a training program and they videoed it. And this one woman, she was, I talked about her in another episode. She was very confident. And uh, she went into the this situation where they had a guy come in with airsoft guns, uh, come into the room where she was protecting the kids. And when she saw the rifle, she panicked, sure. fired rounds into the ceiling. He killed her and, and all the kids. Yes. Then later on, they had her on the real range where the target was a bad guy holding a gun to an eight year old's head. And she fired like uh, 10 rounds and hit the kid three times. And she was devastated. When it comes to private citizens, you know, teachers carrying guns. Is that a good idea if they get training? Can people do it?
1: I I don't honestly, I don't know. Like like you said, you can give people, tools, but if, you know, I'm not, I'm not a construction trade. So if you gave me the best Milwaukee DeWalt tool and I don't know how to use it, I'm not going to be pr- proficient. And then if I don't know how to use it, I don't go get training in it and be proficient in it because I can go get training and use it once a year and I'm not going to be proficient. Um, right. You know, it's, it's hard. Um, it, do we want, me and my wife don't have kids. Do I want my, you know, teacher armed? I don't know. I don't know. Joe. I think that's the best thing. I think it's hard to say, hey, you know, as teachers, you know, here's a gun, protect our kids, um, you know, check the box l- like they do. And then, you know, you're 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 trained to protect kids. And then, like you said, something happens. Yeah. Um.
0: It. it, it Richard, it is hard. And I know you're, you're trying hard to come up with yeah. a good answer. And we all are because I get yeah. asked this a lot. And I would, you know, my answer has come down to, I I saw, I saw a pretty good meme. There was a teacher standing in front of a bunch of kids with a guy with a rifle. And it says the teacher protecting the children. And then another picture, she's holding a handgun. It says she's effectively protecting the children. Sure, But the reality is here's the way I see it. Um, You put everybody in that school is armed and there's a shooter. I go in there. I don't know who the heck's got the gun. Who the shooter is. They're going to be cross firing at each other. Now, if you had retired military teacher that had that kind of, of experience i might say that teacher is okay yeah if you had a principal or system principal and he or she had some experience and had access to a weapon i'd say maybe I, i'm not i'm not a fan of every teacher being armed no
1: no i mean it, it's it's hard like you said like there's considerations if there are an active shooter who's the good guy who's the bad guy everybody looks alike now um you know you're seeing a little bit of uniqueness now um with the last couple active shooters with body armor and stuff, Um, you know, which was a thing and then it wasn't a thing. And now it kind of is a thing again. Uh, They're learning. Yeah. yeah. Um, Let's draw our attention to
0: that for a minute. Let's talk about the dreaded AR-15. You know, is this thing uh, did they pull this off a Marine somewhere in Fallujah and hand it to right. people in America and say, uh, there you go. you got
1: a, a Marine weapon. What, what is the AR-15? So um, when Eugene Stoner originally designed it back in the late 50s, um, you know, that was for the military and then it, it kind of adopted. But the, this the Armalite rifle that we have in you know, most civilian capacities is a semi-automatic rifle, just like anything else. Um, There's no special features to it. Um, It just looks like the military rifle. Um, New Jersey has specifically banned the AR-15 by name um, since the 90s. So the AR-15 by name, Colt AR-15 or anything derivative of the AR-15 has been banned by name. Um, As long as it's not substantially identical, uh, whatever the state police rule that is, um, you know, civilians can own one in New Jersey. Um, They can't have you know they only can have two of the five evil features um so you can't have a bayonet lug um if you have a pistol grip it can't have uh um a flashlight or so you know the it, it the term got a little bit bastardized i think in the 90s um with assault rifles the ar was never called the assault rifle it was called the Armalite rifle and then i guess throughout um, politicizing things. They just assumed that the AR was assault rifle and then, you know, they became all things bad. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, any, any misuse of a tool in bad people's hands create, can create havoc, you know, a, a school bus, a yeah. rider truck. Um, Well,
0: I, I saw an know. ad the other day, a repeat ad from the Sears catalog in 1923, you could buy, buy a, uh, a BAR, um, yeah. 30 caliber <laughs> semi-automatic yeah. rifle um, which was, which is a, big, I think, uh, Clyde Barrow carried one of them sure. around with him when he was shooting up banks, yeah. and uh, we just have a different mindset of people today. There, there's mental illness we don't address. Yeah, uh, there's all kinds of problems that that why these kids are going to the schools for home protection. If somebody's out there listening right now, to going, you know what, I, I, I don't like all the crime. I don't like where things are going. I want to get something for home protection that I could use. My wife could use. What, what, what are we talking about for
1: somebody like that? Um, so I, I you know I think we can agree the easiest easiest thing for people to use um, for home defense is the revolver um, you know it, it's you load it it's in a cylinder it kind of has a heavy pool um, it's it's easy in that sense where you can just aim it and I would suggest aiming devices um, and I have a couple friends that uh, promote those kind of things um, it's just always for the most part reliable five or six shots um, you know, if you wanted to get into the, the semantics and the nuances of everything, um, if I had to protect my family and, and you know, what I tell our guys is if you're going to get into a gunfight, bring a, bring a rifle. Um, you know, there's some schools of thoughts that, that, that have an AR in the home. Um, they're not that hard to use. I mean, we train 18 year old kids going to, to, in the military, how to use them. Um, it, you know, it's just a couple more levers, um, you know, that I would, if it was a, a brand new gun owner, um, a revolver, it's just easy. Um, and, and, you know, with good training, you can be proficient in it. Um, what, about a, what about a shotgun? A shotgun? Uh, shotguns. Home. So there's, there's um, my personal feelings. I have a love hate relationship with the shotgun, especially in law enforcement. Um, I think in law enforcement, especially the way that we use them traditionally with buckshot probably isn't the best ammo anymore. Um, you know, the, the slug ammo um, would be the best or less lethal capabilities are awesome. Um, you know, what we're seeing a lot, especially because we have a lot of younger officers coming into the department, you and I grew up with shotguns. I think that was a rite of passage um, for people close to our age. We're not seeing um, a lot of people capable of shotguns anymore. Um, but they're simple you know, you know, depending on the ammo and stuff, they're an effective tool. Um, again, it comes down to training.
0: Excellent. Well, Richard, I, I appreciate you being here. And hey, homeowners, if you're thinking, think about a revolver, get a nice 38 caliber revolver. It's uh, like you said, five or six rounds. Uh, an AR is is a home defense weapon. You know, it is it's it's easy to, to shoot. It certainly will stop a bad guy. Uh, we got to keep our guns locked up, though. Okay, we got to keep them locked up. And I do have to say we have to find a way to keep uh, keep people with mental problems from getting these weapons. You know, I'm a I'm a proponent of the Second Amendment. Absolutely. Uh, I'm not giving up my guns and and whatnot, but I think we have to be very careful with what we're doing. Richard, I want to thank you for being here today. Uh, I appreciate your information. We'll have you back on again. Perfect. Thanks, bud. While many things we hear are lies, we know one thing is true. Viruses exist and people get sick. Look, there's no guaranteed way to keep from getting sick, but there is a way to reduce your chances. RX, the original povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray that you hear Dr. McCullough talking about, provides an additional invisible layer of protection from colds, flu, coronaviruses, and more. Click the banner ad on americaoutloud.com and use promo code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Stay protected with CoFix RX.
1: Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day,
0: yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to.
1: The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next.
0: Spry can be found online and at all fine natural retailers. All right, everybody, welcome back to Chasing Justice. I hope you like my friend Richard Sneath. He's a gun expert. With all of this talk about guns, I thought it would be good to, for our law enforcement people out there and for regular people to understand a little bit about the different kind of guns. You know, the dreaded AR-15, the you know the the scary looking thing that's out there. Listen, there's no doubt about it. Um, semi-automatic gun, which obviously semi-automatic. Every time you pull the trigger, it shoots a bullet. It's not an automatic rifle. It's not a machine gun. And it does look scary. But like I've said before, there's lots of other two two three caliber rounds, which is the same thing. Five point six millimeter, I think whatever it is, um that the two two three is that you can buy that don't look scary. They're just a wood shaped body. And they shoot just as fast, just as many rounds. So uh it, is it a weapon that can cause a lot of damage? Yes, it absolutely is. We know, we've seen it over and over and over again. Where do we draw the line? Where do we draw the line? So I've been watching on the news, and there's all this conversation uh, about the politicians, this, they need to do something. They need to do something. Um, and that something always seems to be the first thing is to grab the guns. This concept that if we just take the guns off the street, get rid of everybody's guns, just like Canada just did. You can no longer own guns in Canada, and you don't have a right to defend yourself. Well, if we just made it like that, then, uh, you know, all the crime would stop, wouldn't it? Right? There'd be no crime, because criminals, well, they would be like, oh, we have to turn in our guns. We don't get to we don't get to rob anybody anymore. Oh, people can't defend themselves. So we can't. Ridiculous. But they have, feel a need to do something. So they're coming up with, uh, they're trying to dance all around the Second Amendment, and I don't want anybody to get hurt. It is very difficult at a time when we have these kind of uh, shooting events that we see in our country, whether it's uh, it's in Buffalo in a grocery store, Denver in a grocery store last year, or in Uvalde School, where we see children uh, killed. At the heart of it, the gun was used to do that, but the person who did it was evil, and you can't legislate evil. And I have a hard time talking about it, um, not the words to come out of my mouth, but the, the understanding of, y- you can fall prey to that argument, that if we just took away the guns, then nobody would get killed. And the reality is that's not true. That's just not true. And, and it sounds cold to say this, but when we look at the number of events um, where these kind of rifles are used, they're used 15, 20 times a year in mass shootings, which is 15, 20 times too many but they're used 15, 20 times. Handguns are used many, many, many more times. And the statistic, and I'm telling you, go look it up. Go look up the statistic uh, for all of you who don't believe it. Um, armed citizens defend themselves between 100 and 500,000 times a year by having their own gun. So how do we take away? That'd be 500,000 potential more victims if we took away people's guns. So we have to, we have to, calm down and take a deep breath and not knee-jerk, right? We're not politicians. We don't have to do something just because um, we have this, we got to get on TV and say, look what we're doing, we're saving everyone. And you're not saving anybody because in reality, who are you taking guns away from? Law-abiding citizens. That's who you're going to take the guns away from. How's that going to make anybody safer? Well, right now we know that the Supreme Court is going to come out with a ruling pretty soon on whether or not, I believe it's a New York City law whether people are allowed to arm themselves in New York City. I mean, does the Constitution stop at a city's border because the city uh, council in there says, well, Second Amendment, don't count here. We're restricting it. You can't use it. I, I don't think it does. Um, now, let's look. Of all the cities where we have the most violence, who's in control? Whose policies are in control of these cities? Where Who's in charge of Chicago? Conservatives or liberals? Unfortunately, it's the liberals, and they they have the strictest gun laws in those states, and they have the most violence. This is almost anywhere. I heard an argument the other day. Somebody listed the most shootings are in conservative states, and that's probably true, but they're not in conservative cities. So you might have a conservative state like Mississippi, but when you have a liberal um, government in the cities where the shootings are taking place, that's why. To a large extent. It's, it's about policy and how people do things. So, do we want to take away everybody's guns? Now, if something happened to somebody in my family, would I see it differently? I don't know. I'd be certainly be very upset. I maybe even would feel foolish that I didn't knee-jerk and scream, take away all the guns. But then you'd have to say, if something happened, would that person who hurt my family member would they have turned in their gun or would they have had a gun anyway? And how about if they started doing something and there was three people around them that had concealed carry permits and they could respond and take that person out. Somebody on the subway uh, starts to do something funky, pulls out a knife, and you got five people there that are concealed carry, trained concealed carry people, and they can stop that threat immediately. You know, what? what is that worth? The problem is we can't have a conversation. We have a knee-jerk reaction. And if you are... Uh, if you are pro-Second Amendment, you must be a nut, and that's why, and that's how you're portrayed in the media, and that, that, pers- that persona seems to follow people. Here's what I think it really is. You know, the other thing I was watching on the news is they were talking about how come people just don't get it? Why won't they go for reasonable, common-sense gun regulation? Well, I'll tell you why. Because it's a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope. When we when we give up a little bit of any of our rights, it's easier to take more of our rights later down the road. Because you got to say, you have to be honest about it. There are absolutely groups of people in this country who do not like guns and want them all gone. They want to confiscate them all. They want to remove them all. And they want to disarm the entire population. They're absolutely out there. If you give them a little bit, and you say, okay, well, we're gonna do, we'll do these three restrictions on guns. They're not gonna go. Okay, that's great. That's common sense gun reform. N- nobody under twenty one can buy an AR fifteen. Okay, um, as an adult, can I buy one and let my eighteen year old son use it? <clears throat> does that um, does that counter counter counteract the purpose of the law? If we have to say, in the last two shootings, Uvalde and in in Buffalo. Both of these young killers seem to have some kind of mental problems. But because they didn't have it documented, uh, because there was no way of of knowing that they were mental patients, they could just go get these guns, which are then used for absolute horror processes. If I am an adult and my son is a reasonable person and he wants to shoot the AR-15 out in the woods, he wants to go uh, woodchuck hunting or whatever it is they do with these AR-15s, and I know my reasonable son is not going to go to the elementary school and kill everyone. And I let him use the gun. Is that, you know, circumventing the, the purpose? I don't know. Is that totally unreasonable to say maybe we hold off on somebody buying that kind of weapon until they're 21? I don't know. Um, you're 18. You can go to the army and you can go die for your country, but you can't drink a beer and then you can't buy a gun that you want. So we're walking a, a, a very fine line here, a balance we're trying to make, trying to create a balance for what's right and what's wrong in our society and how how we solve these problems. But I think that's the real, that's why people won't jump on to coming up with some common sense, um, you know, a waiting period, a one-day waiting period. Is that unreasonable? Well, I have a right to buy a gun, don't I? I should be able to walk in and buy the gun I want. I know, but I have to wait two days. So they check my background to make sure I don't have a history of mental illness. On its face, it does not seem unreasonable. But if you give in to, okay, they got to be 21 to buy it, and you have a three-day waiting period, what comes next? Well, you can only have a magazine that shoots one round at a time. You have to single load the... See, that's the kind of thing people are afraid of. Because unfortunately, our friends on the left... Uh, who want to restrict your rights in all different kinds of ways, they're not satisfied. They're not going to say, hey, these, this is great and reasonable, and we've just made it as safe as we possibly can, so that's great. Let's move forward. No, they're going to go for the next thing. You know, they're going to go after the next thing. We see President Biden now saying that the 9 millimeter uh, is the most dangerous weapon. And you heard Richard Sneeth, right? Handgun bullets are relatively slow. Of course, they'll kill you if they hit you in the right place or they hit you in the head but they're relatively slow. They're not like a rifle bullet, but he wants to get rid of nine millimeters, which means what? Nine millimeter handguns. What's the difference between a nine millimeter handgun and a 40 caliber handgun? Just really the size of the bullet. And then a 32 or a 38. Well, let's get rid of them too. Everybody can have 22s because that's what the president said. You know, a 22 could shoot you in the lung and it doesn't blow the lung out of your body like a nine millimeter. Uh, They can go in and get the bullet out and you can live. So do we not expect that at some point down the road, our friends on the left who are completely anti-gun would come down to, everybody can have a 22 caliber uh, handgun that shoots three rounds. That's what you can have. And you can have a, a shotgun for hunting birds because they seem to think that the Second Amendment is there for, for hunting. You know, uh, Governor Cuomo in uh, New York was famous say you don't need 10 rounds to shoot a deer. Well, it's not about shooting a deer. Uh, the The reality is our forefathers saw that man is inherently evil, the default position of humanity is to live under a tyrant, and America was an experiment in freedom, and at some point there may be a government that's in place that wants to override the people and take over the people and act tyrannical, and the people should be able to fight off that government. That's the purpose of it. That's why we have a right to our, our firearms. Uh, it's not to, to shoot a deer or it's not to go bird hunting or it's not to shoot a 22 at a target. We have a right to protect ourselves from enemies who come into your house or from the government that tries to come after you. Now we, we can't talk about that anymore because oh, that's not oh stupid. no government's going to come after you. how are you going to fight tanks if they came after you? That's not the point. That's not the point. The greatest military of the time, the British Army, was fought back by firearms, uh, flintlock version, uh, by farmers and bartenders and people who uh, made, made milk for everyone to drink. They fought off the greatest army in the world. It can be done if it had to be done. And I don't want to go far far flinging to that. I'm just talking about trying to understand, you know, what do we do about these shooting situations? Do we do we find a way to identify people in advance that are potentially dangerous, and then go after them? Right, get them, get the guns away from them, make sure they're they're safe. All right, what else is going on in the news? Well, we have we have big, big, uh, Supreme Court decisions coming down. We're going to find out about Roe versus Wade. Uh, that can happen any moment. It can happen while we're talking. We're sitting here together. The court can come out with their decision, which seems to indicate. Uh, that they're going to overturn Roe v.ersus Wade, and then the right to abortion is going to go back to the states. So uh, we already see that our Department of Justice is not protecting the justices. They're letting people intimidate them, go after them. Um, What do you think they're going to do if this comes out and it overturns Roe v.ersus Wade? Do you think someone's not going to attack the houses of these justices? You're not going to see that? Why are we letting people protest up and down their street? Go protest at the Supreme Court building where we can secure it and make sure that the justices are safe. And I mean all of them, right? I'm not just saying just the conservative. All of them justices should not be harassed. They shouldn't be intimidated. They should make their decisions uh, based on their, their understanding of the law and how how it fits in with the Constitution without having threats on their lives, without having nuts show up in the middle of the night with guns and duct tape and zip, zip uh, uh, cords to uh, go into a justice's house to kill them. Uh, this is, that is totally unacceptable, and if we don't realize that that is really pushing the, the pendulum way, way far to make a point. Why are they not immediately protecting these justices? Why has the president, who runs the Department of Justice and has a right to give them orders, has not said to uh, Merrick Garland, I want federal troops over at the houses of these judges and anybody that carries a sign near a judge's house, I want them locked up for intimidating a judge under federal law let them protest somewhere else, not in front of the judge's house. That's what I would do. President Joe, that's what I would do immediately. I would call him in. I'd say, come in here, Merritt. Sit down. I'm giving you a direct order. I want federal troops all around those houses of those Supreme Court justices, all of them, all nine of them. And if one idiot shows up with a sign trying to intimidate or or, or, or uh, scare that judge or to influence that judge. I want that person locked up and charged with everything we can possibly do. And I want it done now. By the time this conversation's over, I want FBI agents running out to their houses. That's what I would do. I would set up areas that say, here, here's a protest area right by the Supreme Court where you can come and your voice can be heard because you should have your voice heard. That's part of our Constitution. You have a right to redress the government for grievances. You don't have a right to intimidate and threaten the lives of our judges. See, the rule of law has been breaking down for, for quite some time now. Uh, we have people who riot, loot, and burn right in front of us, and we don't take action. Or if they are arrested, the charges are dropped. We have prosecutors in our cities and our states who refuse to enforce the laws because of their political beliefs about the laws. So each time, if, you know the game Jenga, where you take the, the, the boards, the wooden pieces, and you put them all together, you make a big tower, and you got to pull one out at a time without letting the tower fall over? What's happening to our rule of law now is a big Jenga game. We're pulling out the structural foundation under the rule of law, which is what keeps our our, our freedoms and our society chaos-free, the rule of law. We're slowly but surely pulling those pieces out, and eventually it's going to tumble. Because we now see, uh, let's ju- just, you know, just a quick recap of how many things we have seen. We've seen, we, we've had a Justice Department, an FBI, who has spied on a candidate illegally. We've seen the media collude with a political party and then be backed up by federal law enforcement to go after a candidate over a lie and let it go on for months and months and months, for years, and constantly attack when they knew it was a lie right away. This is a diminution a deluding of the rule of law. And well, if it suits us and we didn't like the orange man, then we're happy about it. But the reality is if they can do it to the the evil orange man, they can do it to you too. And it's wrong. It shouldn't happen to anybody. The, The power of government should never be used against the citizens. That is in and of itself tyranny. Right? So you hear all these people, all these pundits talk about tyranny, tyranny, tyranny. And you say, oh, you're crazy. You just conspiracy. And then you see tyranny right in front of you. And either one, you're not intelligent enough to recognize it. Or number two, it suits your purpose. So you're okay with it. Well, just remember, that can be turned around on you and used against you. That's why we can't allow it at all. But we're just sitting by doing nothing. This January 6th hearing. Okay. If this was a real investigation to what happened that day, I'm all for it. I want to know what happened that day. That happened at our capital. That is my capital. That's your capital, right? The people that are in there, our politicians deserve to be protected. Every one of them, whether you agree with them or not, they're your party or not, we have to protect them, right? We send them there to do a job, whether we like the job they do or not, uh, they should be protected. And no one should have went in that building uh, without authorization. And the people that did they should be held accountable. Uh, they trespassed and away they should go. But if we were going to do a real investigation, I'd be all for that. This is a kangaroo court. And I've talked about this before. This is an absolute kangaroo court. You have uh, seven anti-Trump Democrats and two anti-Trump Republicans handpicked by Nancy Pelosi for the first time in history, refusing to allow the opposite party to put on the people that they want on a select committee. No, no, I'll, I'll pick I'll pick the two that agree with me, not the two that may represent uh, the majority of the uh, Republican people. Uh, I'll pick and they'll be on the committee. That's a kangaroo court. That's that's why nobody cares. Nobody's watching it. It's it's obviously, it's it's, it's got one political purpose to take everybody's mind off of how horrible, really horrible, uh, Joe Biden's administration and his policies uh, are for the American people. Uh, and number two, to prevent Donald Trump from running again, because they are scared to death that if he decides to run again, he could win. And then he could be the president, right? So that's what that's all about. And that's why nobody's taking it seriously. There's 10 million people watching. Yes, out of 330 million, 10 million hardcore anti-Trump haters, left-wing nuts are watching it every day because it's reinforcing what they want to hear because they're only presenting one side. They're not actually investigating. If they would, uh, I would welcome a real investigation. But I want to know lots of things. I want to know what kind of investigation was done about the shooting of uh, of, of the Babbitt girl? Uh, that seemed pretty quick that that was adjudicated. That was a good shoot. An unarmed female climbing through a window, shot at uh, very close range. Try and do that tomorrow night. Have a cop do that tomorrow night uh, and, and see how everybody, two days, is like, oh, it's a good shoot, good shoot. Cop was nervous, thought it was going to be bad, so he shot, per- killed the person, right? You go see if that works out that way. I guarantee you it ain't going to work out that way. So we look at that and we say... That's that's pretty bad. Now, our economy, our economy is slip sliding away and the president um, as he gets older. And I think he does have some some mental concerns, you know, of aging. He's just an older man. And as people get older, they lose their mental faculties. They, They lose the ability to do things. Uh, they keep trying to insist to show us, Look how healthy, how vibrant he and he keeps falling off of bicycles, he trips going upstairs. He's an old man. He's a feeble old man, uh, who's who's frail. Uh his thinking is all not there, but he serves the purpose, right? He everybody else is calling the shots and and uh Uncle Old Joe is just stumbling around, uh tripping and falling all over the place, saying ridiculous things. Did you hear the other day he was at at some funeral giving some kind of a a eulogy or something for somebody, and he talked about how you know, unfortunately, your your CEO dropped dead. You know, this is this is this is appropriate way to handle yourself. No, but he he's an old feeble man, and the more they try and tell us that he's not, the more he looks ridiculous. The more the rest of the world see, I'd rather him go sit in the basement and uh, you know, than be out there in the public looking looking like the way he does because the rest of the world is watching. You know, Putin made decisions about Ukraine based on who the president is here. The Chinese are making decisions based on who the president is here. So we we can't forget that. Uh, I do see some funny things on social media. You know, uh, during the election season, remember? Oh, Joe Biden is a a, a good man. He was going to be... Remember his... his, I will be the president for every American. Even if you didn't vote for me, I'm going to make sure you're... Uh, Anybody out there... um, conservative or Republican? Do you feel like he's worried about you and what you think? Do you think he's being your president too? Uh, I don't feel like that. I don't think he takes any of my concerns uh, into into consideration. Um, he, he tells us about the economy. He was at the beach the other day. They sent him to the beach, right? So, we oh, look at him. He's at the beach, right? And uh, a reporter asked him, what, what about a recession, which all we're hearing on the right-wing, left-wing media everywhere is this approaching recession, the signs are clear that it looks like a recession is coming. It is not a mystery how recession comes. You have too much government spending. You have high inflation. And shortly thereafter, there is a recession. We're already seeing 0% growth uh, in a quarter. And we saw negative growth before that. If the next quarter shows negative growth, there's your recession. And he snapped at this this uh, reporter. Who says that? Nobody says that. Nobody says that it's 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 a problem it's something that we should be concerned about uh as opposed to you know who trespassed in the capitol those people should be charged with trespassing uh and and should be a lesson to everybody don't go into the capitol when you're not invited uh but let me let me circle back Jen Psaki um I did see video of, of police officers calling people in waving people into the capitol I saw it I saw it on the news um What's that all about? See, so there's lots of things that if they really investigated, we would find out a lot of things, and I'm all for it. Uh, but this one-sided kangaroo court, I'm not. So, I mean, anyway, I, I'm, I'm losing track here of myself. Um, so, Mr. Biden and our economy, we're not going towards a recession, although uh, we, we did a tile in my bathroom. I, re, I, re, I demoed and did a bathroom in my house. And the guy we had bought the tile from is a local tile store. And we had done um, the downstairs bathroom, I don't know, about a year ago. Uh, I demoed that out and I bought the tile from the guy and uh, business was booming. This guy could not sell uh, any more tiles. That had to be two years ago because Trump was still president. This guy had had so much orders coming and going. The housing market was booming. This year, uh, probably January, February, I went into him and said, oh, I need tile for the bathroom and yeah, he's no problem. I said, uh, hey, I'm here. You know, things might slow down. He goes, the economy's already done. He goes, my orders have dropped off to nothing. Uh, I talked to a couple of friends of mine. We had a plumber come in to do some of the plumbing work. He says, yeah, I got jobs going through July, maybe August, uh, and then that's it. Um, housings are stopped. People have stopped all their projects. Uh, the economy's dried up. Um, it's going to be a tough fall. Um, a, a construction guy. I talked to him. I said, "Hey, here's what I'm here." He goes, "Yeah, absolutely. Um, all my side jobs are drying up. Uh, there'll be nothing going on in the fall and winter at all. Uh, the economy is, is is hit a bad spot. So we have some troubles ahead. I think this is absolutely true. So for the president to say no, there's no such thing." Um, I think that's that's a problem for all of us that we can't eat we can't we can't deal with it nobody will deal with it nobody will be truthful about it nobody will look at it truthfully the media is one-sided and once again we can't trust anybody so I think we have uh, we have some problems coming so get ready everybody go out there and uh, make some extra money if you can put some money away I don't know maybe buy a gold bar you can chop it up into pieces so you can buy your toilet paper uh, when the economy takes a dump. So for many people out there who didn't live through bad economic times, they have no idea what's coming and how uncomfortable it's going to be and people start losing their jobs and uh, it makes life really miserable. And Mr. President says, there's nothing we can do. Not one thing we can do about this. He's wrong. There's lots of things he could do about it. He's the President of the United States. But this is where me and Miss Kathy were just talking. And the reality is we all keep, forget, we get drawn into this. This belief that you know they're incompetent or they're not, they're not just not seeing the forest for the trees, and and they, they think that they're going to do. It's not any of that. I don't think these people in in Washington are stupid. I don't think they're stupid at all. This is all on purpose. Now I said this long before everybody else in the in the uh, in the mainstream media. Go back and listen to my listen to my uh, podcasts this is all on purpose they're doing this for a purpose they are running the gas price up so that we buy electric cars there's an opportunity for us to go electric it's so expensive they're doing this to us on purpose for a reason right none of this is because they're incompetent i think they are incompetent that's that's besides the point but all of this is happening because it's part of a bigger plan we are greening us out and it's going to it's going to wipe us away because we're not prepared to go green. Janet Yellen, uh, she's, you know, the, the, the Fed, she comes out and says, well, the only way we're going to get out of this is if we go green. How the hell does going green going to put food on the table, right? Uh, Mr. Buttigieg there, uh, he's in charge of transportation. He doesn't do anything till his plane gets canceled. Now he's all upset. Meantime, you got flights. You got the the supply chain is a train wreck. The housing market is going to hell. Interest rates are up. Inflation is eight percent. People can't afford to live. These are all clear results of policy. And I hope people have some common sense out there and will start to say, what's the difference between how horrible things are right now and how great they were two years ago? Take the orange man out of your head and look at the facts. What is the difference? Policy is the difference. The way we do things is the difference. What we believe in, how we function, right? What government does or doesn't do is what makes the difference. So I want to thank everybody for being out there. Uh, We're going to get Mr. Sneath back on again in a couple of weeks, and he's going to talk some more about some things we need to learn about uh, handgun practice. If you're going to get a gun at home, let's be safe. You got to always be safe, be safe, be safe. So this is Lieutenant Joe uh, saying, have a great day. And remember, be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. We'll see you down the road.